Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. Um, Hi, my name is Judah Rubin. Um, I am the Monday night reading coordinator here at The Poetry Project. Um, If you are here, you are here for Loma and Anaïs Duplan. Um, And we, um, yeah, I'm really stoked for this reading. I hope you are too. If you're not, get there uh, <laughs> uh, or leave. Um, so, <laughs> so Loma's going to go first. Um, it's a beautiful night, so we'll take a five-minute break um, just in case a storm blows in uh, within the next hour. You know, um, So we'll take a, a short break um, and then come back with Anais. Okay, so... Uh, Without further ado, um, I will introduce Loma, and then um, and then I'll get out of here. So, um, or at least off the stage. So, in an essay I was reading the other day by Emmanuel Levinas, he writes about a stray dog, who they name Bobby, that he and other prisoners at a forced labor camp during World War World War II named and cared for after it had found its way into the camp. And the way that the presence of this dog allowed for Levinas and his fellow inmates to regain a sense of personhood. Levinas is discussing this in relation to a biblical verse concerning the giving of meat to, meat to dogs, meat that has been torn at, it seems, by other animals. In this, I couldn't help but think of Borges's map, which, having covered the entirety of an empire, perhaps the world, is left to fall into neglect as, and is torn at by dogs as it fades into the desert, shreds of recognition. In Loma's work, there seem to be these numerous sites of, expe- of experiential presentation, but because of its, of its intimacy with this topic, I'd like to look for a moment at self-portrait as Sonora Desert, Sonoran Desert, where Loma writes, this border is not a stitch where nations meet, this border is a wound where nations part. If we say, as Levinas does elsewhere, that the language of trauma is the only ethical language, that our ability to process the trauma and grief of others is contingent on the ability to recognize this trauma in ourselves and in the world, and recognize is to feel this intimately, then I think we can begin to understand understand Loma's work. No, this border is not a stitch, because the construction of the detention center of the same poem is, quote, from bone and clay. Loma writes, my sadness is viewed in terms of everything surrounding it. My sadness is about domestic violence, homelessness, gender dysphoria, intergenerational trauma passed down from the Salvadorian Civil War, etc., etc. My sadness is something to observe, consume, sympathize with, but not empathize with, not to mobilize for. Most people do not know how to interact with my sadness. My sadness is so multifaceted, it speaks 20 languages. And later, they make a point that must come before the poems, permanently po- before the poems, which is that poems are not actionable in the same way that actual physical material mobilization and action are. My own sadness, perhaps, is that this is not unto itself an axiomatic truism, not least for myself. It is not enough to view the language of trauma as being elsewhere, nor is it enough to side with trauma as the end. But I am perhaps speaking to myself here, and I'd like to, if I may, look at a few lines from myself when I'm real, which I'd rather read in its entirety, but oh well. Quote, remind me how the sky was created. Say, I split the sun like yoke and let the day fall into me. If our love is a trash bag, please don't let it tear. If this poem and much of Loma's work is about the unraveling of experience, about the unraveling of the self and grief and the simultaneous fragility, but withstanding presence of love even in the unraveling, 
then, well, I cannot help but think, and the more I read these lines, the more I fall into their language, that the ambiguity of speech, the ambiguity of holding the creative act of the sky's egg as both doubled and halved is the preservation of love and perhaps the way that we can recognize ourselves within it, where the possibility of empathy and mobilization both come from and eventually end up. Please join me in welcoming Loma to the Poetry Project. Thank you, Jira, that was beautiful. Thank you to Poetry Project also. Uh, I love when you learn more shit about your work from the introductions. So I, hi. I think this over here is a class, right? What class are y'all? Rutgers? Poetry workshop, yay. Anybody who's first time writing poetry? Or first time at a poetry reading? No? Okay, yeah, sorta. Welcome. Um, okay, I'm going to, right now I'm working on, well, mm, uh, this poem, this poem uh, comes back to me, I think at least twice a month. I wrote Pamela Sneed today on her Facebook. I was just like, thanks for writing this. And I kind of just want to read it because it tears me, like it tears me apart every single time. Um, and I like, yeah, I kind of just like bringing my friends' voices into the room too to exist with me. Pamela Sneed, Survivor 2014. Contrary to what's popular, I never liked Diana Nyad. In my mind, overrated white woman, ex-Olympic swimmer, most recently swam from Cuba to Florida, privileged thrill seeker, daredevil, doing voluntarily what so many people of color are forced to do while attempting to gain freedom, drowning in boats, falling overboard, terrible accidents, falling into the jaws of sharks, those waters, a meat fest for predators, slavers, sometimes. I think about slavery and think if only those waters could tell the tale I've always wanted to say. To those people who can go on re the reality TV show Survivor for kicks, try and be an artist and make it your career choice. Or how about a single mother or father trying to raise a family on minimum wage, living in an impoverished neighborhood? Try being someone who comes to America and doesn't speak the language, whose entire survival rests upon learning English. Arriving in a strange land on strange soil, estranged from everything you have ever known, like hitting your head against a glass door or mirrors, like optical illusions that used to be in in the old fun houses, or how about being uninsured and being sick for a number of years, weathering that storm, or uninsured but burdened with a costly illness health plans don't cover, or like so many of my students who are bullied to the point they have nowhere else to turn and no longer have knowledge of their own name. No, I never liked Diana Nyad. Until one day I caught a clip of her on Ellen, I caught the part where she talked about her friendship with Superman Christopher Reeve, who in real life suffered paralysis from the neck down. He looked at her in later years after she retired from swimming, said he'd feared she wasn't living her own dreams, that she was Olympian, and sometimes, and something about her conversations with him motivated her to try again, to listen. 
Maybe through her, I saw the frayed ends of my own unlived dreams, my own fear that caused paralysis. And so by the time, and so by the end of that conversation with Ellen, where Diana talked about returning to her Olympic self by swimming from Cuba to Florida at age 60, challenging every notion of what it means to be an athlete, a woman, and the stereotypes of aging, I was crying by the time she looked up into the camera and said, never give up. Don't ever give up on your dreams. Um, that's Pamela Sneed. Uh, thanks, Pamela. Um, I remember the first time that I heard that poem, I was actually in an MFA. And in MFAs, I feel like so often, you, are y'all the MFA program? Okay, undergrad, cool. Sorry, the side of the room. Yeah, I love y'all too. Um, and so um, in my MFA program, I remember just being so trained to listen for like poetic techniques. And finally, uh, finally my, my thesis advisor, Eileen Miles, looked at me and she said, stop trying to be a fucking poet. Like <laughs> she's uh, really like, she was like speaking your voice, speaking the voice of your community, like be authentic. You don't have to hit like this like high lyric that everyone's trying to hit. And I remember when I heard Pamela Sneed's voice, at first I was like, is that poetry? And then I was like, holy shit, that's a liberated voice. Um, and, so, and so both of those people were very important to me. Also, it was very important for me to be here. Um, I told my mom, I was like, mom, you know, this year was good. Like I spoke at Harvard and Yale and Stanford and all these bougie ass places. I was like, but you know where I've wanted to speak, but I haven't spoken. And I, I was like, poetry project. I was like, I've wanted to speak here for years and they finally invited me. So, and the reason why I'm so excited to be here more so than all those other fucking places is because this has been like such a ground and such a center, this venue like for the New York literary scene for decades. And so I just feel like the spirits of so many people like Eileen that I adore like flowing through this room um, and to even just for a couple of minutes uh, have that same space with them and with y'all is very beautiful to me, so thank you. Um, I'm gonna read some new shit that uh, isn't published yet and that I'm still editing because I'm kind of in that mood, if that's okay. Yeah? Um, Okay, I moved to San Francisco and then I moved back. Here's why, one of the reasons. Uh, police killed my neighbor. On his doormat, 15 footsteps from my bed, the bullets auburn cologne, I could smell it. And after the first shot, there were fireflies, smoke. After the gunshot, I fell to the floor and scrabbled like a soldier into the living room or dying room, huddled in the corner where stray bullets can't reach. Don't look out the window, someone once told me with an anchor on their breath. Oh, Lord, they'll shoot if they see a witness, meaning me. Police killed my neighbor, and I didn't know his name until the moon went to sleep. Antonio Clemens, is this war or genocide? America used these guns to kill terrorists abroad, and terror is how we live. The ambulance lights pirouetting like ballerinas. I peeked out the window. Sleep is too fragile and breaks. A man was mourning on the street, crying and trying to pull off his shirt. He fell onto the pavement. Then police began walking towards him, guns holstered by their waist, and all I could think was, fuck, not again. 
who will protect us from the police, if not ourselves? Bringing flowers to his mother. But flowers won't bring back the dead or feed the dog chained to a spike in the yellow, in the yellow yard and barking. This is her house. Even the sky is behind bars. Newspapers keep vomiting vile vocabularies. They say the killing was justified, but they haven't. Marched with mourning mothers after murder. His mother will have to bury her child now, let her rest. His mother shouldn't be crying or lighting candles. Who would rather hold a bouquet than their child? I was told that the dead can't be good or bad, only dead. I wanted to tell her nobody should be killed by police, but instead I wrote it on a banner hung hurriedly by the homeless encampment. Does lightning twitch like I do? Every time we lose a neighbor or a friend, this can't just be another shooting in America. She thanked us for kindness and invited us to the vigil. Her son was a sexual assault suspect, shot his rifle at the cops. How will my murder be justified? Um, okay, this is a really raw one, okay? This I haven't, yeah, this I still have highlighted underlined parts and question marks and stuff. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see how this goes. Wait, should I? Fuck it, who cares? Um, heaven never felt so far. The mornings after Tony's murder, I wonder when the city will clean glass on the street, the car with bullet holes in its window, the police whose arms wrap around my block in yellow tape. People be, keep being killed by police, and what is God for if not mercy? I'm not okay when driving, down, when driving to work, all the windows open inside me, and I have a panic attack. At work, a student tells me she wouldn't believe the sky is blue if police had told her. At home, to avoid stray bullets, I push my desk to the window and drop my mattress to the floor. Children jump hop, jump hop scotch near used needles. In my dreams, God shaves my head, then pushes me into the battlefield. I think sorrow is an open, is an open field where everyone's on fire and running for dear life. Everyone I love being shot. What is a dream but the place we both meet? Wake up, wake up. Okay, that's new shit. Are y'all sad? Welcome, to, <laughs> welcome 2016. Yes, yeah, sad girls. Um, okay, cool. Uh, huh, huh. How much time do I have? Is there, okay. Is it right if I write a, read a long poem? I think I'm gonna read a long poem that fits in this because I'm kind of in one of those moods. Yeah, great. Um, so this, I've only, I, I sent work into Poetry Magazine once, and I heard they pay by the line, and so I sent them, um, <laughs> I'm not shitting you, so I sent them a 15-page long poem about the, <laughs> about the prison system, is this one, and so I was like, you're gonna like me, you're gonna like me, like, <laughs> you're not gonna like me, oh, okay, so Don Cher wrote back and was like, after reading this poem, it was like, the poem stuck with me for a while, but I just don't know uh, if we have a capacity for that right now. <laughs> so he asked for new poems, so we'll see if he likes the new ones, but uh, this is me being an asshole and sending a 17, 15, 17 page long poem to poetry. 
That would have been nice, right? That would have been a new car. They would have bought me a fucking car, gas for a month, would have paid my rent. I would have moved to Manhattan. <laughs> um, Los Padrinos Juvenile Detention Center, Unit Y, Unit Y2. Each week I walk through metal detectors, laughing guards, muffled mothers, a basketball court, a blackbird, bobbed wire, and more bobbed wire. Oh, also, I guess before I start this, I really love, um, I really, I like to say I hate careerism, careerism, but then I always find myself engulfed and trapped in it and succeeding in capitalism. Lols, just kidding. Um, <laughs> No one succeeds in capitalism, um, <laughs> but um, but so I really have come to love long poems because at least within like in the poetry community, there's not anything that you could do with long poems. Like you can't send them to Poetry Magazine or the New York or any of these like journals because no one's gonna publish a 15 fucking page long poem like in their little journal. You can't really send it to like. Uh, your applications for the M, uh, like the NEA or the Roof Lily or your MFA program, like there's nothing that you could do with for, like with long poems except for write them, um, and so I really and no one really wants to read a long poem either if it's on the internet or like like hey hey whoa read this 15 page long poem on your way to work like no one gives a shit, so and it's also rude if you have more than like two readers I think to read the to read a long poem. So I like them because I feel like they're the most one of the most anti-capitalist forms right now. Um, also pertaining to my prior work, um, I'm really interested by interested in like um, I grew up I grew up on punk, and so I'm interested in like that history. Yay! Um, so I still lines all the time from bands like and from bands like Retox, which has like one of my ultimate dream crushes, Justin Pearson, who started. Um, 31G Records in San Diego and was also part of bands like The Locust. Um, but he has this line that's called Everything is Legal Somewhere and I insert those lines into my poems every now and then. But I think about like punk in relationship to agi prop agitative propaganda which uh, poets like Vladimir Mayakovsky who like is a Soviet poet um, was doing in the way that the reason why I like that is because um, like both punk and agitative propaganda are a means of like um, shaking like the readership or the public alive and being like provocative, but simultaneously like in intellectually like stimulating and simultaneously like sad and campy and witting, witty. And I feel like it's like throwing two middle fingers up while still smiling and saying something that's like extremely grave and serious while like trying to deflect from the seriousness of it. And so I like the multifacetedness of like agitprop and punk. So when I say things like that, I'm thinking about lines going back to like the locust. Um, uh, lines that like Justin Pearson has written that are like, um, anything Jesus could do, I could do better. Um, or uh, can we get another, can we get another nail in the coffin of culture theft? And like, I think that shit is really fucking beautiful. Um, so yeah, those are, I have a poem, I have a poem called Transactional Sex with Satan. Um, yeah, that I sent it to Oxford American. <laughs> <laughs> they're a little bit more of a conservative journal, and they were like, they are like, this is really beautiful. We appreciate your craftsmanship, but we're not sure if it's right for our readership. I mean, APR ended up publishing it, but that happens to me all the time, where I like have to justify my politic by like, and like by like literature, like literary standards. So I like with transactional sex with Satan, I could be like, oh, it's alliteration of the S sound that makes this like art. Um, transactional sex with Satan. Um, 
but there's always uh, I also sent to Chin House they sent this they took it thank God but they were like we had a debate but I sent them a poem that was called In Defense of Violence where I talked about like um, murdering rapist and they're all like we thanks for your poetry <laughs> but props to them for for not letting the politics dissuade them from conversation. Um, Los Padrinos Juvenile Detention Center. Each week I walk through metal detectors, laughing guards, muffled mothers, a basketball court, a blackbird, barbed wires, and more barbed wire. To be here, where concrete ends and the page begins, I teach poetry to incarcerated boys ages 15 to 19. They are sons and fathers and brothers and lovers, thieves just like me. They want to learn how to write, how to take the pain and make it beautiful. When class begins, televisions, televisions are turned off. The chessboards are put away, put away, and the boys join me by the stainless steel lunch table in the back of this gray brick room. Everyone looks the same, gray, cotton sweatpants, sweaters sharpied with numbers. Most heads are shaved, some are tattooed. I want to ask the boys about their lives outside of the detention center, but every story ends with the word prison. My mother prison, my father prison, my skin tone prison, my language prison, my nation prison, my gender prison, my ratty clothes will be returned upon release, part two. Julian calls me carnal now. He spent the first couple weeks of our poetry class trying to scare me away. He would lift up his shirt, showing me the name, the name of his gang, the name of his dead friends etched in ink across his stomach. I would tell him to put his shirt down, but I want him to keep his shirt up. Once, Julian told me he wasn't afraid of death. All I could think about were his abs. None of the boys in Uni too know that I'm a faggot. Before each class, I wash, I'd wash the red paint off of my nails, lips, then exchange my black dress for blue jeans. Here, each body is disciplined for its, for its difference. Each person is disciplined for their distance to state power. Yesterday, I was reading a letter written by Dee Dee, a trans woman sentenced 60 years to life in a men's, prisons for, in a men's prison for killing her abusive boyfriend. Dee Dee now continues to be raped and physically assaulted behind bars. She'll not fight back anymore. She has been transferred from prison to 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 prison. She has been placed in solitary confinement against her will. She spends 23 hours a day alone on hunger strike. She was sent to the hospital. When each act of resistance is labeled as aggression, when you can't even scream without being pathologized, wouldn't you starve yourself too? Pull each rib from its rib cage, anything to open the prison doors, part three. In unit Y2, Julian is finally released. He's let out of the detention center early on probation with an ankle monitor. This monitor will track his every move. This monitor was created in the 1960s at Harvard University by a small group of researchers, including R. Kirkland Switchkabel and his brother Robert Switchkabel as part of some project that I really don't care to write about. Last week I heard on the news the federal government is gonna start using these ankle bracelets to track the movement of undocumented immigrants. 
people often fleeing poverty and violence with their children, people who are awaiting trial and sometimes deportation, people like my tios, like my primas, like Julian's family, and I want to congratulate Julian on his release from Unit Y2, but I feel uncomfortable proposing the thought that he is now free, that he is now human or citizen. I want to tell Julian everything has changed, but there is still institutionalized discrimination against convicts and access to housing, education, and employment. Prison is a new slavery. Prison is a new Jim Crow. Nothing has changed. 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 No, Julian, you are not free. They just rearranged the boundaries of your cage, part four. How did we end up here? Licking our claws, walking in circles, panting with no water bowl. Of course we look like animals. Of course we run from poachers. In 1906, Otobenga was put on exhibit in the Bronx Zoo. In 1896, 100 Sui people were put on exhibit in the Cincinnati Zoo. There's a whole Western history of African and native bodies being displayed in human zoos. The first time I was arrested and displayed, I was only 15. A whole neighborhood watched as I was stuffed in the backseat of a police car, wearing nothing but my underwear, a cloth which hung like a white flag, a beckoning to surrender. I was placed in handcuffs, and all of the faces in that neighborhood looked like security cameras, capturing just one instance in the scene, the brown boy, the police car, the tow truck. When I was arrested for stealing my father's car and running away from an abusive household, nobody saw the fear. Nobody paid attention to my father's chafed hands, the way his grip tore through my clothes. Nobody wanted to talk about the circumstances which created the criminal. The prison isn't just a holding cell. The prison is any place where fear is profited on. Part five. I never wanted to be a criminal. criminal. This isn't what I had asked for. A life of opposition, of resistance, where every day I awake to threats and self-defense. How badly I want to leave. Open all the cellar doors. Let the brown boys free like wedding doves. Erase the names engraved in the bulletproof glass. Spit the teeth out lodged in my esophagus. The image I see is not one of violence, but I understand the trembling. The image I see is a simple one where our fears are let go of and our empathy is held onto and Julian is laying down on a couch in his mother's living room watching cartoons after eating cereal. It's a lazy Sunday morning and Julian's sister is still asleep. The, ba the blankets are pulled chiefly over her shoulders, sun tilting through cotton curtains. She yawns and stretches. She does whatever the fuck she wants to do and nobody wakes her forcefully, not Julian, not the police. Thank you. So first, thanks Loma for that, for that reading. That was really fantastic and also justified my, my belief in the long poem. <laughs> I was remarking to Gabe that I haven't written anything under like 10 pages in my life. So that's, <laughs> yeah, anti-capitalist cred. Um, so, but thank you so much for that. That was really fantastic and um, I was really glad to, to be here listening to it. So, um, all right. So, uh, one of the radical gestures 
that I couldn't help but get stuck on replay, look forward, dig out of the poem, poems in Anais Duplan's Take the Stallion is the performance of time as mutable subject. Uh, though the poems, I suppose, are not overt in saying this, I read a number of them as taking as their foundation the presence of the language mold as time, and that within that, the subjecthood of time itself, meaning that, as any subjectivity, it is bound to the ma uh, malleabilities and transversal alterations as time bends to the seemingly soli solid, recurrent, and amnesiac, and just as surely uh, a solidification of the form that perhaps has to be the poem and its refusal to accept the cyclical finality of utterance or singularity of meaning. Uh, take Portrait of the Found Self. Anais writes, I hear only a bird remote and laughing from beneath its hunter's hands. The trill is joyful. I become at night the hunter whose hands delight in the roundness of her animal. I move to the window. My gaze is soft. I see my shadow from outside, my shadow laughing from beneath my hands, or in blackness which was always moving. In trembling over the damp petal mound, palm cupped, I could not but cry out, stricken as the bird who sees finally itself reflected in the careful accent of a bramble knot. What it seems to me as a reader of Duplantis is that the, sorry, my, I, is, aha, is that the shadows, reflections, imaginings, being as they are, the coming into reality of sight and solidity. These seem to be the place where the subject, and I mean the language act here, forms a selfhood that finds its radical coextension in the poem. But by that, I mean radical as itself a malleable or numerous term. I'm thinking, etym etymologically speaking, where radish comes from radical, where radish is the sustenance in waiting for Godot, the root, the rhizome, that to resort to Deleuze and Guattari, sorry, you can never get rid of, you can never get rid of ants because they form an animal rhizome that can rebound time and again after most of it has been destroyed. But perhaps these poems also show in their extension their linguistic relation to the ancient Greek radix or twig, branch, out of which we can reroute the extension of the body in time as the root itself. To take from the masterful first poem in Take the Stallion, there's nothing in the frame of this instant except my hand touching your, sh touching your shoulder, but it won't stay. Please join me in welcoming Anais Duplan to the Poetry Project. I'm going to weave in and out of Take the Stallion um, and some new poems that I have. But I'll start with a poem from the book called A Fledgling is a Young Bird That Has Its Feathers and Is Learning to Fly. One. S-H-E-D-E-V-L. I, on the other hand, make sure to wash my mouth whenever I say something slippery. I am washing right now, ma chérie, with a pen in my left hand, and my page is on the rim of the sink, and my right hand is reaching toward you, you in the mirror, to pull your hair out. Two. The terror of having to realize the unrealizable. I am a baby on the kitchen counter, one of many. My mother continues to unload us from a crate. The counter is littered with knives. No one is hurt except all of us are hurt and yearning to sleep. 
It is cold. Keep this in mind, it is cold. My mother, the woman, she is wearing a chain of children's molars. A man wearing the same chain appears in the doorway and begins to eat us one by one. Three. My mother in a blue apron. It is springtime, inside and outside the kitchen. I hear the dog screech from the yard. His body is caught under the lawnmower. My father is driving. I tell my mother to get off the machine, to let this one live. But he doesn't listen. He takes off his apron and steps outside, sees the dog screeching, and by now it is still springtime. Four. You are in control. The day is yellow in the sense that the grasses are dying. There are animals dying every minute, waiting even after their deaths to be adopted. Pick up the phone. Pick up the baby and set it in a meadow. Wait for a bird to settle on its head and take a photo. Mail the photo to your mother. Write to her, write just this once, just this once, would you please come to my recital? I promise I will do better than Jenny. Take the baby back into your hands and promise me. Five, what makes us go all the way to the bottom? The brother had severed one of his fingers, attempting to slice a fig. The mother took him to the emergency room, but only the brother returned. Since then, I have had to be the woman of the house. I am proud to say that the brother's fingers have grown six inches since I took over, and the father is very well near Portly. I promise to fill them up. I say this every time I pass the emergency room on the way to bed. Six, at least we have our authenticity. This is the last time I'll ever lend my skin to a man who tells me he'll give it right back. Keep this in mind. It is cold, and my eyes are too bloated for my head. I have had to squeeze them dry at day's end. I do this in the bathroom where a lady is safe to take her apron off and her eyes out. Seven. I say to Michael, I say, Michael, why don't you go out and find yourself a woman? I say, Michael, any lady would be lucky to let you have her. I say, take this cake and take it into your arms and find a woman. Eight, you are in control. Take this stallion and ride it to your demise. Read the sunset behind the stars, the green, green garden. Compare my flesh to yours. Look at my hair, my neck hair, and my toe hair. Read, I am a woman, and a woman is a woman. My unconscious is under siege, Papa Bear. Take up your arms and throw them around me. Bring a bouquet. Bring your big cowboy hat. 
Show me how to kill a horse. This is a new poem called, I like the long title. So this poem's called, Why Does It Feel Natural to Want to Be Stable for the Lady in the Mirror? My stable body, yet it is the stage of the real. My labor is inscribed upon the earth. Is it the name of the father, the law? Regardless of capital, this is myself growing. What is here? Why don't we talk about the body without organs as a limit, its miraculous surfaces, and each and every one of its disjunctions? The starts of one machine to the other. The celibate machines with rectums open the paranoic machines. A performance of the virtual. A bad kind of desire I desire so that desire begets desire. Muck, sedimentary rock. Oh my God, you're on a tear. You're an animal with long legs. Be at my door and I'll be at mine. I don't know if any of you have been to central Pennsylvania, but I did a short residency there. Have you been there? I've never seen more roadkill in my life. So for like the month that I was there, all I wrote were dead animal poems. <laughs> and this is one of them. <laughs> a deer in its first year. A spotted fawn is dead on the parkway. Discover what killed it. Draw a map of the wound, discover the wound, inherit it. A spotted fawn at the guardrail of the parkway awaits. Discover what caused it to live. Take the fawn into your arms, dissect it into halves, draw out the grasses, separate the blades, ask, is the ending ended now? Have we surpassed it? Discover hunger. Take it into your arms. Wrap your arms around yourself. Discover hunger. A spotted fawn. If you are alone, give your life to the fawn. Cloak yourself in its undone ribs. Give. If you are not alone, do not give the fawn away. Leave it. Take yourself. Let your dress billow over the carcass, the polka dots. This poem is from a series that I'm writing called Mount Carmel and the Blood of Parnassus. You waste everyone's time with your back and forth. You go to the shopping mall of your delights and horrors, purchasing yourself in droves. You run out of money and are filthy though you bathe. You bathe for this reason countless times. It has nothing to do with the font that you're using. Some say work for honesty, others say craft, still others are monarchs or blue whales. Others have stars on their shoulders, others invite each other to dances where they, as per each other's expectation, dance with each other. They hold on to each other's waists. 
You collect everything, all the dead waste of his life, and create a wreath. Try not to smile when you're not getting your picture taken. I am the animal who wants to hold you in good light, today being your big debut. Today, for spectacle's sake, you lay waste unto hunger. Until hunger we had faced none of the usual dangers. The wild blue yonder could very well be inside the two of us, you mumbled. You drew pictures of Kali. I drew blood when I fell off my bike, trust being a luxury for the animal. I am too dirty, but only when you are too high on coke to answer the phone. Whose cue is this? Whose turn to describe the taste of vogue? In matters of tangible time, I know no haste. Conversely, in matters of sex, I know only that I grew invisibly, as in, I am the animal's mouth in your mouth. I wrote this next poem in Iceland. I was living in a little fishing village of like six, 600 people. And you, when you stepped outside, when you, you'd smell like fish. By the time you got back inside, it was disgusting. Um, but I was the only uh, even remotely not white person there. <laughs> uh, and I lost my shit a little bit. <laughs> but I wrote this poem. I think that I can love it, shuck. Mary, full of rage, wearing a bonnet, carried a bonnet full of posies, a bonnet full of ponies. Jive, pitch black Mary told a lie, told the kids to ride the ponies freely. Blacky black Mary told a lie, said, you will be loved by all. Even the nigger eaters will love you. Black, blackest Mary wrapped a cotton blanket round her bountiful neck, sang a song with her dangling legs in the salon. Juke. I saw the negress bathing. I brushed the negress brightly, and when I did expire in her, did see the borealis. When the play ends, we have learned nothing about the protagonist. When you say all hands on deck, do you mean that I am the deck or that I am all these hands trying to approximate hands? Guess how long it takes to get from genuine to wicked. I spend eons hanging off the mouth of a bottle enthralled by the fight. I swipe two to the left cheek, one to the right for good grace. It is only infanticide if you finish it. Blight, there was blight for miles and miles and an entire generation of people called the police when they heard the noise next door. 
I was lonely when you were on vacation, so I touched myself, thinking about the sentence fragment. Choose your own disappointments. Amass them in your secret place. Burn the house of your body down. You are a fairy in plain sight. You are dead now. Remember, nothing I say is good enough to say quietly. You sound like an untuned Steinway when you let me down. And every time you come, I'm in Orion's belt, eating pink stars, eating them up, full up, eating them up. I spend eons hanging off that mouth of a mouth of a mouth. Today at the park, I watched a kid fall off the swing. Everybody loves the sunshine. His mother ran to save him, but he was already growing daisies all over his body, every place daisies in every socket. I guess I have two more, and then that's it. <laughs> I wear all denim to the ego carnival. I am an amalgam of approved parts. Is this beautiful? Do my teeth shine when I bite my fingers? Last night I died to make my mother laugh. She passed in and out of my room. Each time, how do you swallow so much sleep? Each time, a little more belladonna. I lied, I have two more from now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the fight or flight response. One. Oh, my peach, choke me on the curbs of Paris over and over. Tell me you love me, love the way I look in my blue dress. Wait, and please don't slam the door when you leave again. One last thing, do you like my tight sweater? Doesn't it fit me, doesn't it fit me that I am unsure of the meaning of balloons, of party hats, of family, and what are friends but deadweights? Oh God, deadweights, I am glad I could say over and over all night, please, baby. I am lying at the bottom of this bush. What I mean is, life seems to go on forever when yourself A, loathing, B, duplicating, C, fulfilling. Two, imagine we are trapped in a steel cage. It is in the middle of nowhere. We are nowhere. It is you and me and a woman dressed up real nice. She looks womanly. We both agree on that. The steel cage is not anywhere, and the woman, she's singing something about balloons or party hats, and it's not in English. We can't decipher it. She could be a bear. Are you listening at all? We are in a cage with no one else but a bear, and everyone else has died. The cage, it is floating, but how could we tell without a point of reference? I want to call you Jim. 
That's the funny part, Jim. We don't even know we're trapped. We're asphyxiating and we don't even know. Three, repeat after me. I know what you're thinking, you dirty bastard. No, I will not eat this ice cream for you. No, I will not drive this truck into a lake. No, I will not paint the world in dirty rainbow colors. Everything is lost, all dirty, all full of lead paint. I'm a jerk, Jim. Don't tell your mother, please don't. This last poem I'll read is called um, Three Cheers for All the Babies Born Under the George Washington Bridge. I welcome suggestions for like how many babies you think that is. <laughs> I think it's like three, but I don't know. <laughs> I liked it. We had a good time. We got fucked up. I liked it. I had a good dream. I got fucked up the dream hole. What an endless orifice. Will you tell me a story? Tell it dirty like once upon a time I fell down the stairs and hurt my collarbone. That's why I point to it like Amelie and hope you've seen the movie. You've seen the movie where everyone dies trying to climb to the top of a waterfall. They didn't need to climb it and I've never seen the movie but I assume they all just wanted answers. A toddler on the express train put a note in my hand. It said, never to turn my back on a man with a gun, but I still haven't figured out how else to stay alive here, here. Cheers. The Poetry Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org.